Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures like the ones you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Red. I'm Miles. I'm Chin. And I'm Anthony. Today, Alex gets to talk with Elon Lee, mastermind behind the alternate reality game genre, as well as designer of Exploding Kittens and numerous other tabletop games. I gotta say, this interview that we had was really remarkable to sit in on. Uh, His philosophy behind games and their relationship with the people playing them is really, really magical and touching, and I really believe everyone will enjoy hearing what he has to say and his approach to making games and bringing joy to the world. Yes, this is a must listen. First, let's get into some news, though. So surprising me, but probably not many other people, Resident Evil is getting its own Netflix show, keeping in uh, the trend of popular games becoming animes or CG shows. We've already got a trailer and a release date, and it's coming out July 8th. Wow. I feel I feel like something of this stature would have been announced sooner and a lot more hype built behind it but Mm -hmm. because we've been hearing about the league of legends one for a minute we've been hearing about well i mean the dota one came out and had a bit more like press leading up to it beforehand this is going to be interesting i want to i want to see how this this story will unfold i have high hopes for it i think it'll be very nice one thing i can be sure is it probably won't go as the one in the future because (laughs) <laughs> we all know it's uh... hey that was a fun movie if you if you discount the relation to the video game it's a fun movie but it's Just called like, resident oh. evil that's the problem you, yeah you bear the name the... you hold a title you I, I believe you have the responsibility to do something about it instead of just making something that's my point to anything any game or an, even animation that turns into a, a movie, especially a, a real life one. I'm really excited about it because the horror genre, it relies on a lot of the jump scare kind of thing, but also just really eerie environments. I mean, most of these horror games took ideas from horror movies and older classics like that. So I think taking a story that was inspired by older movies or uh, horror movies of that type, I think bringing it back to screen may also lend itself well to that type of story. I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, I I can't... I've been let down too many times that I can't actually have too high hopes for any sort of game, (laughs) show, or movie. Uh, The red card is too bad. As far as other news, Divinity Original Sin 2 is coming to iPad. Yeah. So if you haven't played Divinity Original Sin 2, definitely check it out. It's not for everyone. It's very slow and methodical, but it's an extremely deep, really interesting world, really fun story. Like there's just so much content to to enjoy in it. And just it being on more systems and being accessible to more people is great. Uh, what Didn't you say that we talked about Baldur's Gate a while back, Baldur's Gate 3, and you said uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 kind of was of a similar type of style of game? Yeah. So the people who are making uh, Baldur's Gate 3, 
is Larian Studios, and that's the same people who made Divinity. And I think Divinity Original Sin 2 is why they got to make Baldur's Gate 3, because they have just an incredibly good track record on this kind of thing now. Uh-huh. Did they say it has to be an iPad Pro or just any iPad would do? It does need iPad Pros. Do you need, oh, it does need iPad Pro? Yes. Mm. The last little bit of news that we have uh, to bring about uh, Nintendo Switch Online has crossed 100 retro titles, including some really deep cuts. Uh, you want to name off some of those deep cuts? We got Caveman Ninja, Joe and Mac. We've got Magical Drop 2. We've got Super Baseball Simulator 1000. Uh, we've got Spanky's Quest, and we've got Ninja Jaja Maru-kun. Spanky's Quest. Spanky's Quest. Spanky's Quest. Spanky's Quest, everybody. <laughs> From 1991. Yeah, if you haven't played it, I highly recommend. They're doing a pretty good job in archiving old games, I think. They, they have done a really good job. I think what Nintendo is doing with the Retro Store is fantastic, because it's... It's it's bringing sort of new life to these extremely old little hidden gems. Game preservation. Yes, exactly. It's genius. I wish more companies would do that. Xbox is also kind of doing that by porting old 360 games. I wish they would port more original Xbox games. Same with PlayStation. I really wish they would do a lot more with early PlayStation and PlayStation 2 games, but we will see. We'll see how they go in the future. Yeah, they'd probably rather do a remake or remaster of it rather than just archived old one that's what they like to do for playstation yep uh i think it's time we throw it on over to alex and elon uh this is a great interview uh please enjoy and we are back with elon lee elon welcome thank you thanks for having me I suppose we should introduce you in some way or other to our uh, audience here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I'm not sure everybody knows you are the person or one of the people responsible for the Exploding Kittens game. Indeed, yes. But I would love to, to credit you with sort of the, the godfather of the alternate reality game. Would you take that title? I I will I will take I will I will take the credit of being on a team with a bunch of other very smart people, uh, and together we we brought those things into the into the world. Indeed, uh, how would you explain "I love bees" to people today <laughs> in this day and age when no payphones exist? Yeah, I know, right? Okay, so "I love bees." The easiest way I can explain it is. Microsoft came to our little team and said, uh, we're launching this game called Halo 2, and we want it to be uh, the biggest marketing thing ever. And our response was, Halo 1 was the biggest marketing thing ever. Everyone's looking forward to Halo 2. It's going to be even bigger. You don't need our help. It's going to be problem solved. You have no, no issues here. And they said, no, no, we want this to be a cultural phenomenon. And that really piqued my interest because what a fun challenge. And I realized that the story of Halo 2 is about aliens invading the Earth and that experience from Earth's point of view. And I thought, okay, aliens invading the Earth, cultural phenomenon, that's actually been done before. That's um, Orson Welles. That's War of the Worlds. And, you know, he, 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 he published, he wrote and published this incredible radio drama put it on the radio, and like a ton of people, I, I keep wanting to say like all the United States tuned into that thing, but it, it wasn't actually the case. It was actually a, a small, moderate number of people that just got repeated over and over again until everyone on the planet knew about it. 
But he convinced all these people that aliens were actually invading the Earth. It became a cultural phenomenon because of that hoax. And that, that story has been done and to great success. And so why don't we just copy from the best? So we wrote, recorded, directed a six-hour radio drama told from the point of view of people on the ground as aliens were invading the Earth, all in the story of Halo 2. And then instead of publishing it over the radio, like our predecessor, we decided to publish it over payphones, tens of thousands of ringing payphones all over the world, Walking down the street, a payphone starts ringing, you pick it up, and there's a voice saying, oh, thank God you answered. Whatever you do, don't hang up. Listen, I need your help. You're the only one who can help me. Whatever you do, don't hang up. And then she launches into a story. And each payphone held about two minutes of audio content, and they all fit together like a giant global jigsaw puzzle. And the players themselves were responsible for tracking down those payphones, collecting the audio, and then reassembling it in order to unlock the entire six-hour drama that was told over the course of several months. So how far and uh, afield did these payphones ring? Um, well, <laughs> getting a payphone to ring, it turns out, is no small task. We had to, um, we eventually got payphones all over the world. Uh, we, we targeted major cities all over the United States, all over Europe, we literally eventually got phones to ring everywhere on the planet. And I actually, when I, when I was working with my writing partner, Sean Stewart, to come up with this idea, we thought that part would be easy. We thought, oh, there's got to be an internet directory of payphones. And we did a simple Google search and, and found one and thought, well, here we go. So all we really have to do is record these numbers, put them into a machine that can do essentially an auto dialer and, and problem solved. But what we found in trying those out was most of them were dead. Some of them didn't accept incoming calls. Some of them had literally been ripped off the wall. We were in this constant struggle to find working payphones, working against the clock, not only for our own deadlines, but because every day more and more payphones go extinct. And uh, this was back in, what was it, like 2001, 2003, somewhere in there. 2004. 2005. Thank you. 2004, 2005. And payphones were already on their way out. So what we did, we literally hired an army of interns and we said, here is a GPS device. Here is a cell phone. Here is a just an armful of plane tickets. And your job is to go to these places. As soon as you get off the plane, look around for payphones. And as soon as you find one, go up to it. Write down the phone number, try calling it, make sure it makes incoming calls, look at your GPS device, record the GPS coordinates, and then move on to the next one. When you've done about 10 phones, go back to the airport, cash in your next ticket, move on to the next city, and repeat. And that's how we got our own personal database of tens of thousands of payphones. That's just a remarkable story. Talk about like doing it the hard way back then. Now you just go to like, you get a bunch of people to do it in some distributed work thing like TaskRabbit, yeah. but you basically invented <laughs> TaskRabbit. Yeah. yeah, for a very, very focused task. Right. So, okay, alternate reality games. You did a few after that, and we could do a whole show on I Love Bees, and maybe we should in the future, but I want to get through your career here, right? Like, uh, So <laughs> what about uh, Graveyard Poker? Oh, yeah. Tombstone Poker. Yeah. Tombstone Poker. Tombstone Poker was a, a marketing piece that we did 
for a game called Gun. It was by Activision. Um, it was a Western, and um, one of the one of the goals of that game. So we put up this this website that told a story. It was a very similar story to the story of Gun. So kind of introducing players to the world, but one of the things that this website did was every week it advanced by about 25 years. So the, the website aged 25 years once a week. And by doing that, we got to not only tell the story, but we got to tell a multi-generational story. And the interface changed, the voices changed, you're suddenly listening to the great-granddaughter of the protagonist, and then the great-great-granddaughter, and then the great-great-great-grandson, etc., etc. And every time you would tune in, uh, a little bit more of the story would unfold in front of you. But part of what we were doing there was telling the story of the dead. And um, because we spent so much time focusing on these different generations, we wanted to tell a little bit of that story out in the real world. And we thought the perfect place to do so would be in graveyards all around the country. And Telling a story in graveyards, especially with actors and players, is a very tricky thing because obviously it's a it's a very you have to be so respectful. You have to make sure not to disturb anyone. Part of our mantras was we have to make sure we leave these places in better condition than when we found them. We can't interrupt anyone, but we do want. After working with a lot of the directors of these sites and the and the, the caretakers of these of these plots of land, we realized that they actually did want people to come there. And they actually asked us, they said, how can, you, how can you invite people in? How can you show them that these are beautiful places filled with history? And there's, there's a celebration to be had here about the stories of these incredible people who are buried here. So we wrote a game. And the basic game, um, because our website focused on poker, we figured out a version of poker that you could play at graveyards. And we built a translation system to convert any tomb into a card. So we deal out physical physical cards. Here's three cards um, that everyone has to use as part of your hand. And now you got to go find your other two cards to complete the best hand of poker. And the way you do that is you find any two tombs. We realized that there's only four kinds of uh, tombstones in the world. There are those that are flat on top, those that are pointed on top, those that are round on top, and those that have statues on top. That's it. Look at any tomb. It's one of those four. Well, there's four suits of cards, so we just did a one-to-one -one translation, right? Flat is diamond, curve is clubs, etc. And we said the only rule is pick any two cards you want to complete the best poker hand, but you and your partner have to be able to touch both of those graves and each other at the same time. And, and that does something remarkable. That gets players out there enjoying the place, looking at graves, lying down on the ground, this crazy taboo thing, um, but taking pictures, having fun, sharing, sharing these, these stories with their families. And the other rule was, of course, you have to leave this place in better shape than you found it. And so we basically built, on top of building this really wonderful story engine told through graveyards, we also built an advertising campaign for the individual cemeteries uh, with the permission of the people who ran them. 
And it was kind of a win-win for everybody. The players had a great time, we had a great time, our client had a great time, and the cemeteries themselves were really appreciative of the attention and uh, the cleanliness of their grounds by the time we left. So this is sort of what I wanted to highlight for our, our listeners, is that I feel like your skill is being able to make a game out of anything and tell a story through it, which is like a double-decker of, of crazy skills to begin with, right? Like a game out of payphones, a game out of graveyards. I mean, you made a game out of toast in a pickup truck. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm wondering, how do you see yourself? Is it the stories first? Is it the games first? How do you even come at these things? I I actually don't think of it as either of those. I I really think about any endeavor from the audience perspective. Um, from the audience's perspective, it has to satisfy one criteria, which is when I participate in this thing, I must become a more extraordinary version of myself. And that's not role playing, right? I don't, I don't hold them to this very high bar of you need to dress up, you need to believe all this stuff, you need to, you know, buy into our story. What you have to do is believe that you are an amazing person, amazing things can happen to you, and we're just going to hold that door open a little bit and hope that you walk through it. And if we can hit that criteria, amazing story, amazing experiences, amazing collaborations, and amazing community rolls right out of that every time. I'll tell you, there was an experience I had that I was so sure you had created, and I found out it wasn't you. Were you familiar with the Jejun Institute? Yeah, of course. I'm friends with the, the people who run it, yeah. I tried to write a story about them for like Wired for all these other places. Everybody poo-pooed me and told me to run off. But boy, that's <laughs> an amazing experience. Have you ever uh, wanted to make something along those lines, uh, or maybe more experiential? Because now you're doing you're doing board games and card games, right? Like now I'm doing yeah. Now I'm 100% devoted to tabletop games. Which, if you look at what we're doing now, is honestly the same thing. It's it's really trying to show people. Um, that the world can be a little bit more extraordinary than you previously thought. Uh, I'll tell you my, my favorite example, the sort of epitome of our company. So we make this game called Exploding Kittens. And one of the things we have to do as a company is show up to these um, game conventions, or at least <laughs> pre-pandemic we had to. We'll, hopefully we'll have to again. But that's really the lifeblood of a card game company, of any tabletop game company. So you have to show up to these things. And the problem with these things, if you've ever been to like Comic-Con or any of the larger conventions, is they are noisy and really hard to stand out. And your typical experience with a booth is you walk up to a booth, you give them some money, you get your game, and you walk away. And you have no memory of that experience or what happened there. And so I looked at that and thought, well, we've got to do better than that. And really taking to heart that, that notion of how do we make this extraordinary? How do we make it so that when you walk away, you have a story to tell? You have an experience that you want to share. And you believe that you are now a slightly more extraordinary version of yourself. So what we did was we looked at the typical booth that exists in those places. And we realized that the transaction is essentially equivalent of interacting with a vending machine. Right? Walk up, pay money, get thing, walk away. And we thought, well, what if we built the world's most amazing vending machine? So we did. We built this 12-foot-tall, fur-covered cat. Cat. <laughs> I mean, it, it literally was. It looked exactly like a cat. And it had a big screen on it and a bunch of buttons, and you'd walk up to it, push the button of the game you wanted, put in your money, and the game would come out. But there was also another button on there, a button called Random Item, $1. And this was your invitation into the extraordinary. Because when you put in a dollar, 
the objects that would come out of this machine were as random as you could possibly imagine. They were maybe a paper airplane or a pineapple or a balloon animal or uh, a, a toy action figure. Maybe the machine could figure out who you were. We saw someone, for example, like cosplaying as uh, Mother of Dragons from Game of Thrones. And the random item that came out for her was a dragon egg, a full bedazzled watermelon uh, dragon egg. Uh, stormtroopers come out, uh, lightsabers fall out of the machine. Like it, it, it is an impossible, impossible machine. It makes no sense. It can't possibly function. Just to cut to the punchline, the way it works is it wasn't a vending machine at all. It was a vending machine costume. There were eight of us stuffed inside of there for 10 hours a day crafting random objects based on who walks up to the machine and what buttons they push. And back there, we were able to produce somewhere between two and 4,000 different objects based on uh, what materials we ran out of at any given moment. But the Good Lord. Right. But the experience was exactly the promise, which is you walk away with an extraordinary story. You walk away knowing that there is magic in the world and it's because of you. The end result is instead of uh, walking away from a booth with no memory of what your experience was, now we have 200 people in front of our booth uh, sitting there watching, watching for hours, because you're never going to see the same object come out of there twice. And the lines snaked past our booth, down the hallway, uh, outside the convention center, and down the street, not to get into the convention, to get to our booth. And that, unfortunately, eventually led to the fire marshal shutting us down because we are <laughs> definitely a fire hazard at that point. But it was, every time we've run it, we've run it like six times, the lines to walk up to the booth are two hours long. But that doesn't even matter because what really matters is the space in front of the booth where people are hanging out telling stories, telling, oh, man, you would not believe what you just missed. This guy walked up and this extraordinary thing happened. This little kid walked up and pushed the button, and they unrolled 14 rolls of toilet paper on him, and now he's walking around the convention as a mummy, right? Like <laughs> stories like that were every five minutes because our premise was you will become an extraordinary version of yourself. <laughs> That's amazing. I really like, I, just to maybe tip the hand, but I would love to like sit down for an hour and come up with an ARG we could do for the museum uh, for our fundraising efforts later on. But <laughs> in, in the meantime, what are you working on now? What, what games are going on? We have um, so many fun tabletop games. The one I'm most excited about right now is a brand new game that we just released called Poetry for Neanderthals. And this game is rapidly becoming our best-selling game. It's uh, the simplest premise ever. Uh, our, our, the, the basic idea, the way you play the game is um, you divide up into two teams. And when it's your turn, your goal, you draw a card and there's a word on the card. And your goal is just to get your team to say the word on the card. And you can say anything you want, except for, of course, the word on the card. Uh, and you can only speak in single syllable words which immediately you become a Neanderthal. You, have, you are a caveman. You have no choice. When you try to restrict yourself to single-syllable words, you just start speaking like a caveman. And it's hilarious and silly and ridiculous. And I've you know, played this game with my grandmother, who is just as good as my you know, 20-year-old sister. And it's, it's really this incredible notion where instead of trying to make an entertaining game, this game makes the people you're playing with entertaining. 
And that is the most delightful thing for me ever because uh, if ever you're going to start a company and you have that as your goal, your success is going to be a very, very positive thing uh, for yourself and for the world. So in, in the light of the being a better version of yourself, how much better does it make you to throw a burrito at somebody? <laughs> so that game, Throw Throw Burrito, uh, is our only game that is outselling Exploding Kittens. We have two of the top three uh, games in the world right now, and Burrito just passed Exploding Kittens, which is crazy to me. Um, throw Throw Burrito is uh, a, a really fast-paced game. It's uh, There's a bunch of cards flying around the table. you got five in your hand, and you're just trying to get three of a kind, just any three cards that match. Every time you get three of a kind, you get a point. But every time you get three of a kind, you also get to pick up a squishy foam burrito from the middle of the table and huck it at somebody. Um, they don't hurt much when you get hit, but every time you do get hit, you lose a point. So gaining cards gains you uh, gaining three of a kind gains you points. Getting hit by a burrito loses points, and it is impossible to figure out where to focus because you're staring at the cards, trying frantically to collect them. You're also ducking and dodging and hiding behind other players, trying not to get hit by these airborne burritos. Mix that all together, and you've got uh, a game that is certainly the most insane, intense thing we've ever created. I mean, that also goes along with whacking people with the stick. You, you failed to mention the inflatable club in uh, Neanderthals. Oh, Neanderthals, right. If you ever say, uh, if you ever do speak a word that's more than one syllable, we include this giant inflatable caveman club, which we call the no stick, uh, single syllables, uh, and you get to bonk them on the head to indicate uh, that was more than one syllable. Now, how do the crab claws work? <laughs> the crab claws. You, you pick the, the wackiest stuff we produce. Uh, well, yeah. Crab claws. Um, so we have this other game. Uh, we've been around for six years, so we've got like, you know, a, a good dozen games out there now. Um, the Crab Claws is from a game called You've Got Crabs. And You've Got Crabs is all about sending secret messages to your team. So uh, you're collecting, again, you're just trying to match up certain cards, but when you do, you are not allowed to tell anybody that you just matched those cards. Instead, you need to send a secret signal to your partner, and they have to say, aha, you've got crabs. If they're right, you get a point. If you're wrong, you lose a point. And so the thing is, you're constantly looking around the table trying to figure out who's sending me messages. Is the other team sending signals? Maybe I ought to accuse them, because then I can steal points from them. The, the game is fun and ridiculous, but... We also released an expansion called the Crab Claw Expansion, and uh, it includes a wild card. It's literally the whole box, single card. It's a wild card. A wild card in this game is so overpowered. Like, if you have a wild card, you are definitely going to get a pair, right? It's It makes it so, so simple. But if you have the wild card, you also have to put on these two giant rubber crab claws that come with the game. And when you're wearing these crab claws, everything in your life becomes more difficult. It's harder to hold the cards. It's harder to pass the cards. It's harder to draw cards. It's harder to send your signals. It's harder to accuse people. Everything goes to hell when you're wearing these crab claws, much to the delight of everybody else at the table. That is uh, just the soul. I love how your game design is like nothing is off limits, right? Like, let's yeah. screw with people's ability to hold cards in a card game. <laughs> so, uh, it's uh, insane that people pay me to do this job. Oh, well, I'm so glad they do. And Ilan Lee, thank you for taking the time today to be with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Elon, for that marvelous interview. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on, and we really hope that we can have you back on in the future. We know times are busy and we also hope 
maybe we can do something in the future. Uh, it would. It was a marvelous interview. Thank you for coming on. Those game day have made actually sounds pretty fun. I mean, throwing a burritos to your friend. It's. <laughs> it sounds incredible. Also, the what they did at the game conventions. I thought that was mm-hmm. really genuine and awesome. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have paid a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. But in the meantime, have any of you? Uh, did any of you hear about uh, I Love Bees back in the day, or were you into that level of Halo? I had no idea. I was I was too young back then for that. I guess I'm too young either for that. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I wasn't aware necessarily of that much. I knew Halo Two had a lot of like big buzz around that specifically, but to actually hear about, I know Bungie like to hide things like that in that kind of way, which is awesome. But yeah. Yeah, I if if you talk about the mo- more recently one, I I might be have a track on it, but the old one, I'm just too young for that. It it's sort of reminiscent of uh, the Matrix, you know, the whole like phone booth. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the call. Yeah, uh, they, it it got me, uh, brought me flashbacks of that, and seeing that it, it's oh, like yeah. the early two thousands. Matrix is still highly relevant, and just seeing everything about that. Oh man, ugh. It it just sounds so cool, and also his the tomb, yeah. It, I love how whimsical it is. No, I thought um, the tombstone poker was probably the coolest thing he showed off. Yeah, it's making a game out of the real world. I mean, obviously that's the point of alternate reality games, but like mm-hmm. the way he integrated an actual physical location into a card game, essentially, was was yeah. really good. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really cool. Just the way his thought process of like even just trying to get, get more people and to kind of, you know, believe in magic, but even, and behind that, like there's can be magic in the world. If you're just like looking your eyes and take it in, there's somebody who's cares and is putting thought behind it to make people have this experience. And I think that's something that we can all kind of like take a step back and look at all these, every game that we love, everything that makes us enjoyable and experience to play somebody was behind that experience and they wanted to bring fun and enjoyment to you to enjoy during that game. And I think that is something that we can all kind of appreciate. I think that's about almost time to wrap it up. You want to just round off list style what games you've been playing? Oh, I'm still slogging through uh, uh, Hollow Knight. I've gotten to the end game where everything's way too hard. Good, very good. I have been participating in the digital fan festival or final fantasy for him there's a bunch of story on it but it will oh, be spending oh. so many time talking about it so i decided I've, I've, i haven't heard of this game you might we'll have to save it for another episode to talk more about this i've never heard of the final fantasy yeah um i'm still on tomb raider um yeah nothing <laughs> too exciting there i'm still on final fantasy 15 chugging through getting a little high level before we send off, thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you've got any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, shoot us an email at info at the We would like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our patron supporters who keep the Maid afloat. Patron donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming servers, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Chun. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.